Thank you, Isaiah. We appreciate so much your presence tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity, the privilege that we've had to sing, to pray, to read from God's Word, and now we want to study what Paul has written in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I do want to just very quickly make mention again of next week's special service on Sunday morning. I want to encourage everyone to be present and reach out to your friends and neighbors, family members, and bring them to, bring them to worship next week. It'd be great if we could have 350 people in this building. And honestly, I see no reason why we can't. And with your help and your prayers, we can do it. And we've got uh, a good group of young men that are gonna be leading our worship service. Uh, right now, Dusty and Landon are scheduled to speak on Sunday morning. If you have not had the opportunity to, opportunity to hear them speak or to preach, then you need to be here. I know that you will, you will be encouraged by what you hear and they will be encouraged by your presence. And uh, as always, and I, sometimes I, I, I know that we emphasize a lot of the activities that are ongoing with the young men and we talk about the visible role that they play in the church. But I want everyone to know that we have just as good a group of young ladies. And their role may not be as visible, but they are just as important to this church and, and really to the human family. And so we're thankful for them and we're thankful for all of our young people. And I really believe that a lot of good things have taken place in recent years here at Olive Branch. It's my prayer that much good will continue to come forth from the work here. Tonight I want to call your attention to Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I want to read again what Paul said. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One of the more difficult things to do in life is to put the past behind us. I think sometimes the devil understands that one of the ways to mire people in mediocrity or burden them with any number of questions and feelings is to keep them living in the past. I want us to think for a minute or two tonight about what it means to move on. There comes a time in life when we have to learn to move on. And so tonight in our study, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of moving on. And when the time comes to move on, I think it's important for us to look at what God has to say on any and every subject. The wisdom of God is often reflected in a number of ways in both the Old and New Testaments. When I think about the importance of moving on, I see that the devil has used the past to keep people burdened. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to look at what Paul says in 
chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Before we do that, I want to ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word tonight to read, to study, to reflect upon what has been recorded for our benefit and our blessing, we ask, Holy Father, that you would help us to rise above the past and to live in the present, to overcome the obstacles and the hindrances that prevent us from moving on in life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we think about when the time comes to move on, I want to begin our lesson by, first of all, talking about the importance of forgetting the past. There is a reason why Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, said that we are to forget those things which are behind. I think one of the great lessons that all of us have to learn in life is to learn how to get beyond the past. And there are obviously obstacles or hindrances to all of us when it comes to the past. And there are some ways that, that, that I think there are some means, I guess I should say, that the devil employs to keep us mired in the past. I want to just share with you some thoughts along these lines. First of all, I think one of the real hindrances to those of us that are part of the church and those of us that live in this world when it comes to the past, one of the real hindrances is getting beyond our defilements or sins. How many times have individuals had difficulty letting go of some of the things that they have done in days gone by. And by that I mean the mistakes, the transgressions, the sins that they have committed. I don't think it ought to be lost on us that the one that penned these verses was the Apostle Paul. I mean, think about the life of Paul. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 acknowledged the fact that in the past he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor. He said he had been injurious to the cause of Christ. He had been responsible for people being put to death. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was put to death, the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Listen to what Paul said in writing to the church at Philippi. Drop back and look at verse 5. He discusses his pedigree. He said, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, listen to him, persecuting the church. Paul had to live with the fact that he had done everything within his power to destroy Christianity, to put down those who were followers, as Luke would say in Acts chapter 9, followers of the way. And yet, Paul was able to put the past behind him and live a productive life for the kingdom of God, for the cause of Christ. There are a lot of people in our world, and there are a lot of people in the church 
that have made grave mistakes in life. I would grant that. There are individuals whose lives have been marred by sin and unrighteousness. I want you to think about this. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sometimes we want to classify sin. Listen, any sin, all sin, will condemn a person. The bottom line is we are all sinners. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And yet, through our obedience to the gospel, our sins are washed away, we're cleansed and redeemed, and we stand pure and just in the eyes of Almighty God. We have to learn to let go of the past. I think about those that made up the church at Corinth. Paul talked about those that were members of the body of Christ in the city of Corinth. He began his letter by acknowledging the fact that they were a part of the church of God. He said they had been sanctified in Christ Jesus and they were called to be saints. Over in chapter 6, you find out that some of those people that had identified with the church, that had obeyed the gospel, they were people that had lived in adultery, idolatry, fornication, homosexuality. Some had been drunkards. Others had been extortioners. Some were thieves. What was it that made the difference in their lives? Jesus, the Son of God. Paul said in verse 11, but you were washed. When they were baptized into Christ, all of their sins were washed away. They enjoyed a new relationship to Almighty God. If we live in the past and we constantly beat ourselves up over what we have done or what we have said in the past, I want to ask this question. How productive will we be for the cause? We're living in the past. We can't get beyond the past. I've said before, and I believe it to be the case, first and foremost, we need God's forgiveness. But then secondly, we have to learn to forgive ourselves. And maybe that's the most difficult part of forgiveness, learning to let go, to forgive ourselves. Think about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Here he is writing to the same group of people. And he said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So they were able to get beyond their past. Let me give you a couple of other ideas along the lines of what hinders us from moving on and why we live in the past. I think about difficulties, discouragement, two tools that the devil has used effectively to keep people in the past. There are a lot of difficulties that come our way because we live here on planet Earth. There are trials and tribulations. There are things that people experience in this world that maybe I can't fully identify with. There are some who can empathize. We sympathize with people, but there are some, they have been in certain situations. They understand. If you live in the past, 
Maybe it's because of some of the difficulties and discouraging situations that you found yourself in. Think about Job. Job lost his family. He lost his fortune. He lost his health. His own wife said, curse God and die. It would have been easy for Job to have lived in the past. I think about the Apostle Paul, the one who penned this book. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh. He said, I besought the Lord three times. What was his desire? That the Lord would remove that thorn in the flesh. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't necessarily have all the answers as to why people suffer and why people have heartache. But I do know this. With the help of Almighty God, we can rise above the difficulties and discouragements of life and press on. Discouragement is a tremendous tool that has been used by the devil countless times. There are folks that have become so discouraged and despondent with life, they've thrown up their hands and said, I quit. Wonder how many people this week, wonder how many people will choose to live in a drunken stupor or will medicate themselves because they can't deal with the difficulties and discouragements that they face in this life. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he talked about Demas. He said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Demas had been a faithful disciple of the Lord. He had been a co-laborer, a co-worker of Paul's according to Philemon, verse 24. And now he has abandoned the work for the world. He would go on to say, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. Now you want to talk about being discouraged. Here's a brother that has forsaken the work. Here's a man that's done you a lot of evil, a lot of harm. And then he said, at my first defense, no man stood with me. All forsook me. Would it not have been easy for the apostle Paul to have just given up and said, you know what? I'm so discouraged. I'm so despondent because of all the problems and trials and tribulations. What's the use? That's how people think. There are a lot of folks today that sadly are homeless. Some because of circumstances beyond their control. But you would be surprised at the number of educated people that have walked away from a good life because of discouragement or because they no longer want the responsibilities of life. Maybe because they can't or they couldn't deal with the past. Let me give you another viable reason that sometimes impedes us from moving on. It's called death. We live in a world of pain and sorrow. That pain and sorrow is accompanied by death. We, over the course of the last few years, have lost a lot of good people at Olive Branch. 
If the Lord delays his coming, we will lose more. Why is that? Because the Hebrew writer said, it is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. Death is a reality. Now, when we face death, that is, when we lose loved ones, what should our response be? I think back to the book of Genesis in chapter 23. In chapter 23, we read about a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was called, as you remember, the friend of God. In chapter 23, the Bible tells us that his wife, Sarah, had died. She was 127 years of age. In her old age, she had, she had the opportunity, the privilege, of bearing a child of promise, a little fellow by the name of Isaac. It would be through that lineage that the Messiah, the Christ, would ultimately come. But the Bible talks about the death of Sarah. Now I want you to think about these two people have been together for a long time. They've been through a lot. They've seen good times and bad times. They, they have experienced joys and frustrations. They have had their number or they have had their share of problems in life. The Bible says, Moses writes, that Abraham following her death in Canaan, came to mourn for her and weep for her. Tears are an expression of grief. And there is a grieving process that we all go through when we lose a loved one, whether it be a family member, a friend, or, or whatever. We go through this period of grief, and there are stages of grief. And there are counselors that help people because of this grieving process. But there comes a point in time in life when the reality hits us that our loved one, whether it be a friend or family member, will not be coming back. So what do we do? Do we live in the past or do we rise up and say, you know what, I'm going to move forward in the present. There are a lot of folks that can't get beyond the death of a loved one. Try as they may, they just can't get beyond it. I want you to think about this for a minute. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that when death comes, the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken. The spirit returns to God. God is the father of our spirit. When we die, when we lose loved ones, they have been placed or they are placed in the hands of a loving and merciful God who will make no mistakes. Our loved ones, when they step out into eternity, they're not coming back. I think what they would say to us is you need to move on. They would want us to go on with life. I think about people that have died in Christ. The Bible talks about paradise or the bosom of Abraham where the righteous will reside until Jesus comes again. 
Those who are unrighteous, as we've noted before, they go to a place called Tartarus, torment, according to Luke 16. But when we, do, when we lose people that are in Christ, I understand the hurt and the sorrow and the crying, but we ought to rejoice that they are now in the presence of God, that they have gone home to be with the Lord, that they have achieved the goal of going home. Listen, if you would, to what John said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. When we lose loved ones in Christ, we ought to give thanks that if they were in pain, if they were suffering, they're no longer in pain, they're no longer suffering. That they are in the presence of God, their needs are being met, they're well taken care of, and what they'd say to us, go on with your life. Live faithfully, enjoy life, enjoy every day. Sometimes, however, we just can't get beyond the past. So having said that, how do we forge ahead and live in the present? How is it that we can learn, or how do we learn to live in the present? I think that there are, are some ways that, based on what the Bible has to say, can help us to live in the present, to put the past behind us. I want to call attention to chapter 4 in the book of Philippians because I think the antidote for moving ahead is found in chapter 4 as well as chapter 3. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3. He said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, look, I'm pressing on. But in pressing on, we have to learn to live in the present, don't we? Yesterday is gone. Whatever happened yesterday, it's in the past. There's nothing we can do to change the past. It's over. It's done with. The future. I want to ask you this question. How much control do you have over the future? You can make your plans. You can talk about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do and this and that, but the bottom line is this. None of us have a lock on tomorrow. James said what we ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Solomon said, boast not of tomorrow. Why? Because who knows what a day's going to bring forth. We just don't know. Sometimes we borrow trouble because we're so consumed with anxiety over the future. Look, tomorrow may not come. The Lord may come. We just don't know. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 talked about the importance of living for the day. Why? Because you got more than you can say grace over today. So, how do we reach forward? How do we forge ahead? How do we learn to live in the present? Let me just give you some suggestions. Number one, remember the presence of God. 
Look at chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 5, Paul said, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. I think what Paul is saying there is, the Lord is standing by our side. He is with us. As we strive to the best of our ability to put the past behind us, we ought to remember that God will be with us every step of the way. I think about, I've mentioned before, Joshua. And the fact that he assumed the leadership of Israel following the death of Moses. He could have looked back to the leadership of Moses and he could have spent a lot of time anguishing over the fact that, that this great leader is gone, that he has to somehow try to the best of his ability to fill his shoes and to lead God's people forward into Canaan. But he did that. How did he do it? Here's what the Lord said in Joshua chapter 1. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God was saying, look, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. As we try to put the past behind us, we need to remember, look, the Lord's going to be with us every step of the way. Now, I want you to back up and look at verse 4. Because I think another, another characteristic that will help us move forward, press on, forge ahead, is to remember to praise God. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, do you know where he was? He was in a Roman prison cell. The Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Does that sound like the sentiments of somebody in prison for the cause of Christ? I mean, you think about it. Here's the Apostle Paul, and go back and read, if you would, sometime Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Silas made their way to the city of Philippi, do you know how they were welcomed? They were beaten. They were not only beaten, but they were placed in prison. Their feet were fastened in stocks. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, at midnight, what were they doing? They were singing praises to God. When we praise Almighty God, it helps us to get our minds off of ourselves. We focus on God. We remember that there is a higher being that there's someone who is in control of the universe, that someone is Almighty God, that he is sovereign, that everything belongs to him. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If my God could create this world, and he did, then surely he is worthy of my praise and adoration, and by all means, he can help me to get beyond the past. So praising God. One of the things that we're afforded when we come together on the first day of the week or when we come together in the middle of the week is that we can take our minds off the world and the heartaches and the sorrows and the trials of the week and focus our minds on Almighty God and remember that God is always with us and that God has promised to be with us. We are praising the very creator, sustainer, and redeemer of this universe. 
There's a third thing I want to call attention to. That is, we ought to remember to pray to God. Listen to what it said in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, or in nothing be anxious. In other words, we're not to worry. But in everything, note that word everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. How often do we live in a state of anxiety? How often are we worried about what took place in the past? We live in a state of anxiety over what occurred yesterday or last week or last month or last year or whenever. Paul said, look, do not be anxious about anything. In Matthew chapter 6, the passage I alluded to a moment ago when Jesus talked about living in the day, living in the present. Three times, beginning in verse 25 down through verse 33, Jesus said in a very concise and emphatic way, do not worry. You think he knew what he was talking about? Why, sure he did. So, what are we to do? We are to pray to God. Now, let's just say we have trouble, we're having trouble letting go of the past. Maybe because of what we've done. Maybe because of what we said. Maybe because of the difficulties and discouraging times that we have experienced in life. Maybe because we've lost a loved one to death. How do we react? Paul said, here's what you do. You get on your knees and you pray to Almighty God in heaven. Did you know that you have the opportunity to stand in the presence of God and pray? Talk to him. Tell him about your struggles. Tell him about your pain. Talk to him about helping you to let go of the past. Does he understand? Yes, he understands. Does he care? Yes, he cares. Peter said, casting all your care on him. Why? Because he cares for you. When you go to God in prayer, you are standing in the presence of an almighty God who will give you his undivided attention. He's not going to have one eye on you and one eye on the door. He's not going to be thinking about what's going on tomorrow, the next day, or the next day. He is giving you his undivided attention. The right and the privilege of prayer, the power of prayer, I mean, to know that we can go to Almighty God in prayer and that he will help us. The Hebrew writer said, let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. If I'm living in the past, for whatever reason, I have a need. That need is to get beyond the past and to learn to live in the presence. So what I have to do to live in the present? So what do, I, what do I have to do? One of the things I have to do is talk to God about it. To be honest and candid. To ask him to help me with my struggles. When we pray to God, 
Think about this for a minute. When we stand before God in prayer, we are praying to a heavenly Father that genuinely understands. He cares. He doesn't want us mired in the past for whatever reason. He wants us to go forward. And then finally, remember the power of God. I want you to look at verse 13, passage that many people know by heart. Paul said, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you know that with the help of Almighty God, you can get beyond the past? I want you to note one other verse. Look at verse 19. Listen to what Paul said in writing to the church at Philippi. He said, and my God, note that expression, and my God. Paul's saying, look, my God is going to do what? He's going to supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, look, my God is going to do this for you. Paul, I think, could write from personal experience. Paul could say, look, this is what God will do for you. Did Paul understand the power of God? Yes, he did. Did Paul understand how difficult it was to put the past behind him? Yes. But Paul resolved to press forward, to live in the present, to get beyond the past. Those of us that are in Christ, we have so many blessings. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that we have every spiritual blessing. When we talk about the riches that we have in Christ, we can't begin to fathom those riches. But I believe this. I believe that wherever I am in life, whatever I'm experiencing, the Lord can help me. He can, as Paul said, supply all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I want to close tonight by saying it is a real challenge to get beyond the past. I understand. All of us have our challenges. We all have our crosses to bear. And sometimes it is so difficult to let go. But what you need to understand is God wants you to let go. And God can help you let go. You just have to learn to trust him. To read, to study, to meditate upon his truth, to pray to him, to look to him. I'm convinced the Lord can help us whatever the circumstance we face in this life. There's a passage found in Psalm 56 that ought to encourage all of us. David said, this I know, God is for me. God is for you. And God will help you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Could I encourage you to come to Christ? The Bible says that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Lord himself said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. If you die in your sins, Jesus said, where I am, there you cannot come. So you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Then you have to repent, turn from a life of sin.
Those who believe in Jesus, who would willingly repent, no doubt would be more than happy to confess him before others. And then to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. Why is that? So that our sins can be forgiven? So that God can add us to the church? So that we can have a church family to help us even when we're dealing with the past and trying to forge ahead in the present. If you're unfaithful to his cause, could we encourage you to come home? John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you stand as we sing for your encouragement?